Welcome to The Coda, a music podcast and the perfect end note to your week. I'm Rob Christofferson, and with me is the double album to my Smashing Pumpkins, the piss on my Grammy, Brian Hasty. Brian, how you doing, man? Great. I love these topical like uh, references to each other. Just, I mean, yes, I guess for the Smashing Pumpkins, it's like both historical and topical, right? Yes, Absolutely. My question to you then at the beginning of this is how much of a shit do you give about new Smashing Pumpkins music like post like let's say like the last time they were relevant was like like Zet Guys right so like 2007ish let's say I would put my meter at about a uh, it's not moving it's not moving right <laughs> now it's just sitting there it's not doing anything so I haven't been excited for um hmm I think the last thing I really enjoyed that Billy Corgan ever did was Zwan, maybe? Yeah, that's really fair. Or do you remember his like weird like synth wave e like yes. solo album like right at around that period or a little bit later than that? Then like yeah. That and like Zetgeist I feel is like the edge of where I will continue to appreciate Billy Corgan. I mean, minus his like wrestling antics. Uh yeah, the wrestling antics didn't look so well and I don't know, Billy Corgan hasn't had great hot takes as of the last like decade so i i think he just kind of like drives a nail into his career every time he gets on any program and talks about anything so i feel like getting excited for a smashing pumpkins record is pointless yeah well like what is there to listen to to and to enjoy in 2020 right uh there's other things other than smashing pumpkins Yes, or watching Kanye West, as you were saying at the intro, um, peeing on his Grammy, and then uh, revealing the contents of his multiple recording contracts, which I'm fine with. That's fine. Whatever. We all like transparency in an age where corporations are making the rest of us uh, poor. So, yeah, definitely. Transparency, great thing. Love transparency. Uh, I did not need the video of him pissing on a Grammy. Didn't need it. Didn't that was need a little all. bit of a, uh, like a visual overload, almost. Yeah, it really was, and, like, dude, just, like, stop. So, just stop. Like, stop making posts on social media. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it anymore. And we, we had this discussion, and I've seen comments and stuff pop up where it's like, oh, he's, he's going through a manic episode. He's going through this. He's going through that. It's like, you don't know what Kanye has, for one. Secondly, Kanye is a wealthy man. He can get help if he wants to, as opposed to plenty of people in, bol- in, in, in the United States that can't. So if we're talking about a rich celebrity who can get help at any time, like, get the fuck out of my face with this bullshit very correct the a lack of resources isn't just american in canada too we also suffer from a lot of that including um yeah while we have socialized you know medicine it's great if you want to go to the er but a lot of additional resources are super 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 backlogged and then you have to pay for them sometimes so that makes no sense to me either but hey this is the hellscape known as 2020 it is the helliest hellscape. It's all fucking burning. We looked at the gender of this fucking year, and it said, I am a goblin, and I'm going to destroy you. That is 2020. Uh, but, Brian, we're back with a new episode. Uh, it's our second one since coming back now. And uh, we talked the previous episode about albums that were our summer jams. And, you know, old and new, the the discs that created their own summer breezes to combat the sweltering hot days. And, uh, you know, we, we tailored it, it tailored into it. We had planned to discuss the topic of what albums we would consider our friends. So uh, we tabled that uh, discussion for this week. But uh, media for a lot of people is just comfort food whether it's uh, a show you continually binge watch or you know that final copy of rumors that you're replacing for the third time already there is a serenity provided by the things that we consume so much so that sometimes i just find myself clutching album covers in my hands and like having like imaginary conversations with them brian this is this is where we are 2020 even before 2020 i would do this 
Brian, albums, albums that are our friends. What, what album? What album is your friend? What, what, what do you want to start with? <laughs> this sounds almost super confessional. Like, listen, you tell me the truth here now. Yeah, exactly. Like, Brian, Brian, it's just <laughs> you and me right now. It's you. And no me. mics involved. No, no, no. Don't even think about the mic involved, Brian. What, what albums are your friends? So I picked three, and. Uh, I guess we'll do what we usually do and go back and forth, but mine are, are sort of like chronological in order in terms of like the, the order in which I discovered them, I guess, or that they came to me in the night or during the day, whatever. Um, my first pick was kind of hard because there are two albums that sort of came to me at the same time, then a third that came later that I kind of lump all together. Um, so I it was a toss-up between this album, Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill, and Matthew Goodband's Beautiful Midnight. And I'm talking about the Canadian version of uh, Beautiful Midnight because mm. there's an American version that just shelves a whole bunch of Matthew Goodband tracks together from two albums that I don't love. But I opted for my first choice to be Our Lady Peace is Clumsy, which is, uh, along with uh, Jagged Little Pill, the first two albums I own from specific artists because... Back when I was a kid, what I would used to do is I would used to buy compilations a lot because you get 18 or 19 songs for like 15 bucks versus an album that lasts 40 to 45 to 50 minutes that you buy for the same price. Um, but yeah, uh, Clumsy was a fantastic album for me, and it's one of the two where I actually played it so much that the laser refused to read the CD after a while, along with with Jagged Little Pill. Um, you know, everything from the opening intro to Super, from Superman's Dead all the way down to the last song, which is Car Crash. And in the middle, probably my favorite, one of my favorite songs of all time, 4 a.m. Um, it is a winner sort of like all around from A to Z. And uh, I do enjoy how it's very emblematic of a certain time and place when, you know, Can- Canadian rock was sort of at its zenith between this and the tragic hip and then, you know, on the, 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 the heels of that, maybe like five, six years later, was like Finger Eleven making a dent in the United States. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it was Canadian rocks, like revolution. It was going on then, man. And it was, it was sleeping over the border a little bit, you know, tragically hip, you know, they, they went a little bit, you know, they, they managed to make it over the border a little bit, you know, they got the border states. There's some Southern states that I really don't understand where their fandom came from, but I appreciate, uh, definitely, uh, Texas. There's a lot of, a lot of hip fans in Texas, but like, it's usually the border states, so like you know, Ohio, Michigan, uh, New York. New York, yeah, they were huge draw in Buffalo, right? So yes, yes, they were an absolutely huge draw in Buffalo, and I mean, like you know, Ontario's right there, so um, it's it's kind of fitting. But uh, I do enjoy how you talked about uh, your first CDs as a uh, like uh, it was all about volume and yes. not quality. Yeah. <laughs> I did the same thing when I was a kid. I wouldn't collect specific comic books, but I pick up comic book magazines who and they had like blurbs about every issue that was coming out. And I felt like uh, I was getting way more of my money's worth learning about what was going on, sort of like broadly versus like if for a little bit less, only buying like one comic book a month, which I was allowed to do. That is the behavior of a prepper. Uh, definitely, <laughs> you are John Goodman's character in Ten Cloverfield Lane. <laughs> that, or uh, you know, or the antithesis of that, which is uh, John Goodman in Matinee. I don't know if you've seen that movie before. Uh, yes, absolutely. Okay. That is uh, that is absolutely perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, we actually watched that movie earlier this summer because I hadn't seen it. So our national broadcaster, CBC, uh, used to run movies in the summer um, in the place of like where a lot of the the sort of like their scheduled programs were in the in the fall and winter. So one of the movies they showed was was that on like a very continual basis so i remember being indoctrinated by it very early as well as uh, pop up the volume and um later on touch of evil was shown pretty regularly during the summers of like a regular um summer flick on cbc that's interesting so would you put that in the camp of uh movies that were part of your childhood that are just not rebroadcast on tv anymore I think so. I think it was one of those movies that like was probably cheap to acquire the broadcasting rights to um, that isn't talked about a lot these days from what I see online. I mean, I'm not necessarily poking around trying to Google matinee all day long, but definitely like that and pump up the volume. I feel like were two very formative movies for me when I was younger. You know what? One movie that I definitely miss that used to be on TV all the time is uh, Batteries Not Included. It was just it was on TV all the goddamn time when I was a kid. And like, I just, oh man, raves for that fucking movie. I feel like, hold on a sec. I'm going to use the internet here because I feel like that was actually partly financed by um, our movie theater chain here, um, Cineplex. So just interesting. Interesting. We've got a, we've got a live scoop from uh, Brian hasty over here. He's got, 
the info here, uh, stuff I didn't even know, stuff I wouldn't have even paid attention to when I was a child. But I do remember going to my grandmother's house and watching this movie one night while my parents were out doing something. I can't remember uh, where they were going, but like that movie was on TV and it was just like, wow, this is pretty goddamn amazing. I love it. Uh, I don't seem to see this. I might be wrong because there was a movie of the sort that Cineplex in Canada had financed, but it may not be this. I'll have to dig around a little bit more uh, when I'm off a microphone. Rob, what is your first choice of an album that you would like to hold into hug and perhaps uh, whisper sweet nothings to or have like have sweet nothings whispered to you? Uh, there's one that, uh, I call it my Saturday album because I would listen to it every Saturday as I, I, I usually go for a morning walk, uh, around like three, four AM cause I'm a psychopath, but, uh, there, you heard one... it here first folks. Yeah. Uh, I am totally, that's a self diagnosis. That's fine. I haven't killed anybody yet. We're good. We're we fine. We need to check the DSM five criteria for you, but we'll do that like off mic later. Interestingly enough, for a project in uh, college, I had to use the DSM-4 for information, and uh, it was um, it ruined my life. I hated it. Uh, <laughs> I hated that project, uh, but I got familiar with it. So, uh, you know, when the 5 came out, I was like, I'm never cracking that book ever. Same. I'm just... I, yeah, I had to use the 4 for, for university class, too. I took a, a class about... Um like teaching and learning disabilities. Cause I was like, it was an elective I could take. And I was like, you know what? Why not? This seems super interesting. And yeah, same. I had to like drudge through uh, multiple copies of the DSM four to find like different things. It was one of the most painful experiences I've ever had as a human being, but uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you, heard it here, folks. you heard it here, folks, Rob, anti-psychology, anti-psychology. Uh, my, my true hatred is in sociology. I hated that class. I, uh, my professor just basically put it bluntly. He's like, you, society makes your decisions for you. Get the fuck out of my face, old man. Just get out of my face. Whatever. I make my own decisions. Was that a project-based class or like an exam-based class or like a test-based class? Do you remember? Uh, it was a test-based class. We did have one project that we had to work on. I don't even remember if we fucking did it or not because <laughs> it required getting together with a bunch of people that I did not see regularly outside of class. And uh, that that was a problem. That was troublesome. But, uh, you know, that's that's totally fine. I hated that class so, anyway. What we're talking about here is is you and I like having a, a, a distaste of academia based on the figures teaching us at the time. Because I've, I've had a couple of similar experiences where I've been forced into situations that I didn't love. And therefore, continuing my academic career in any kind of like uh, meaningful way is kind of stopped right now because I don't want to do group projects. Yeah, no, it, uh, any kind of group work is the absolute worst. Uh, and case in point, the marketing class that I had to take, uh, for my major, I was in with a group of, uh, how would I describe them? Dude bros. They were dude bros. And I was in my, uh, how old was I at the time? I was in my late twenties. So, not exactly the partying guy. There was one guy obsessed with uh, the fact that the the song, you know, How to Do the Dougie was about someone teaching this guy how to do the Dougie and, and how there should have been a song about the Dougie itself. And um, <laughs> it was like one of the most mind-boggling situations that I've been in because this person was a clear dumbass. But in that class, I was the only one that actually put the time and effort into the research and uh i actually embarrassed my my team members because what they wanted to do was open up a gym for seniors in a college town which is <laughs> one of the dumbest things that you could fucking do Yo, and their gyms are called sidewalks yeah exactly exactly so they didn't want to go with with what i was saying because i was telling them i don't think this is the market i was the guy that had the financials so I did the work in the financials and I literally got up there and I said, this area would not be able to sustain a business like this. And I was the one that got the best grade out of everybody. And I'm like, fuck y'all. Well, yeah, when you, when you, when I say the word thrifty and we do a word association, you're probably first going to say elderly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like we're talking seniors here, 55 and above, you know? So, so you didn't shotgun any like monster energy drinks with them, like in a hallway. 
No, I I didn't. I couldn't. I I couldn't bring myself to fucking do that. You know, think about uh, these elderly hearts. We we got to keep this in fucking check. God damn it. Yeah, they don't need as much resistance training as you think they do, guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so we, coming back to the the topic, <laughs> I was gonna say we've we've gotten severely off track. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, so hit me with your first your Saturday album. Yeah, my Saturday album. So. Um, uh, it is a Drive-By Truckers album, but it's probably not the Drive-By Truckers album people are going to think of. It's probably the one that has, like, uh, the, the biggest cult following of all the Drive-By Truckers albums. So, like, you know, when you think of DBT, aside from the new material, which um, doesn't have that Westfried art, which makes me concerned, because you should be concerned, because it's about concerning subjects. It's just concern all around. Concern, concern, concern. <laughs> so, you go with the original like three album fucking banger streak so southern rock opera decoration day the dirty south those are kind of your quintessential albums there the one after that is okay it was jason isbell's last record with uh, dbt but the record after that brighter than creation stark is one of those albums that is just it feels it channels the small town aesthetic probably better than any other records had before and the reason that is is because it kind of has a countryish sound to it and uh it's still it's still hard it still brings it but it's just like they channeled that uh home world hometown feel better than any record that they had previously so this is the first album without jason isbel in the lineup and i don't think anybody knew what to expect uh because you kind of probably thought that they were going to go back to the the two lead vocalists aesthetic with patterson hood and mike cooley and uh in this particular instance they brought jason isbel's ex-wife jonah tucker to the front of the line so her contributions to this album are just fucking amazing, but I think what makes this album homey to me is the pedal steel on it, uh, mm. which is done by Spooner Oldham, and Spooner is like a legend down in, in fucking Alabama and shit, so um, fucking just bringing it, but like, the the small town stuff, man... Um, uh, there's a song on there called Three, Three Dimes Down, which is a song about three drunk people one of whom is driving, racing home for what I assume is a threesome, but I, I don't exactly know. The song is talking about how there's this woman in the in the back seat, and she's hanging out the window, puking on his car while they're driving, and this other woman's holding her by the belt loop. It's, it's kind of <laughs> fucking amazing how they can just, like, channel that into a, a great and catchy song. Um, there's, like songs about small town people that you just probably wouldn't hear in any like when you hear the small town songs in country they're usually these like generic fucking amorphous songs that could apply to so many fucking people but like there's songs on this uh like um the righteous path about this one guy who's just like trying to do the right thing constantly and he's going through this like bulleted list of all the things that he's doing in his life to try to make sure that he's doing things and there's this song on here called bob and it's and it's this song about a lifelong guy who takes care of his mother chooses to fish on sundays instead of going to church he doesn't have friends and still gets his three tv through rabbit ears like it is the <laughs> most fucking charming song about a dude just trying to live his life that i could think of i channel that small town aesthetic in like everything i do i've never lived anywhere other than small towns cities kind of make me feel uneasy just because there's just so much fucking going on and you can't really slow down too much uh otherwise it just feels like you're getting trampled on but yeah. um there's a fucking heartbreaking song, one of Shona Tucker's songs called The Purgatory Line, which is literally about how 
you're continuing to walk this line until your time comes, you know, in the, in the wake of somebody who has died, you have to continue to walk this line until it's your turn. And it's, uh, it's fucking depressing as shit. And then, uh, there's a song called, I'm sorry, Houston. And it's about this guy who keeps going to this one woman, assuming that, uh, she's going to solve all his problems and doesn't. Along with these songs that you can relate to, man, there are some fucking dark bangers on this thing, too. The album opens with a song called Two Daughters and a Beautiful Wife, and this song is Patterson Hood's way of trying to reckon with the grisly news that a friend had committed a murder-suicide. It's a heartbreaking song, but, like, dear fucking God, like, it's a, uh... It's a gut punch, like, right from the start. And uh, there's there's another one that, you know, fucking Spooner Old Ham is just bringing it with this fucking pedal steel song called uh, Daddy Needs a Drink, which is that song about a guy in just about any small town who's drinking daily just to deal with everything. But I think my favorite track is a song called Self-Destructive Zones. And it's about, like, the death of 80s metal and the rise of uh, uh, alt-rock and grunge and stuff like that. And uh, Mike Cooley, who wrote the song, he, he's he got such a way with fucking words that's great. And, like, the dude could make a decent country song if he, or a country album if he really wanted to. But I just wanted to read off some of my favorite lyrics uh this is uh from the song a ghost to most and then i'll read one from self-destructive zones buddies i think this one is definitely relevant to the times i don't know how good it does a man to keep on telling him how good it is he's free free to watch this ghost down the drain and free for them to tell him there's no such thing like that's fucking like dope as shit right there that's like fucking that is america in, in in a nutshell Fucking, you have your freedom. I hope you. I hope you fucking choke on it. You son of a bitch. <laughs> do um, you feel uh, like that is probably perhaps more prescient than ever? Yeah, I do. I, I really do. Also, given the fact that their latest album is called The Unraveling at the you know at the outset of twenty twenty, I feel like a little too on the nose here. But uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, so fucking on the nose. Um. So uh, this this lyric from Self Destructive Zones is so is so great. Um. The hippies rode a wave, putting smiles on on faces that the devil wouldn't even put a shoe. Caught between a generation dying from its habits and another thinking rock and roll is new. Till the pawn shops were packed like a backstage party, hanging full of pointy, ugly, cheap guitars. And the youngins all turned to karaoke, hanging all their wishes up on disregarded stars. It's fucking brilliant. That that <laughs> really sums up what this era of transition was. Like you got these like this era of new folks coming up and they're trying to emulate the past and they they don't realize how self destructive it is. It's so great. So fucking great. Well, I'm glad to hear. So how did you sort of like pick your three? I feel like we, we neglected to mention that at the outset. For me, I kind of just went through the albums in my head that I that I kind of returned to like on a continual basis because like you talk to your friends on a pretty fairly weekly basis and stuff and these are albums I listen to on a weekly if not monthly basis. So that okay. was my main primary criteria like and also if they got me through a difficult time that would also right. factor in. So my second pick is uh, going to be no surprise if anyone listened to the mid-2000s emo and punk bracket um, episode that we did a little bit while back. I think it was in April. But uh, I spent a lot of time looking at Warped Tour lineups per year to sort of get a better idea of like who I should perhaps be picking or you know who would be in the running. And ultimately, I chose Canada's very own Alexis on Fire with their 2004 album Watch Out. From the beginning of Accidents all the way to the end of Happiness by the Kilowatt, which is probably, once again, one of my favorite songs of all time, and I probably listen to it, uh, both in this incarnation as well as um, the Dallas Green City and Color version because there's a live album where he, he does it with a piano that I, it sounds gorgeous. Um, really fantastic band from uh, its humble uh, metalcore beginnings all the way to sort of this where if you listen to it, it was Fear of Myself that made me odd or um, Sidewalks When She Walks and you hear Dallas Green singing voice more and more. This is a much better produced album than their um, first one, um, you know, the self-titled one and also continues a streak that goes into both Crisis and Old Crows and Cardinals. But yeah, this is definitely like a band. It's apex of, of metalcore aesthetics 
Um, you know, there's a song called uh, Sharks in Danger, which starts with a sample. It sounds like it's someone calling a mental health facility, and it was super interesting to hear. Um, no Transitory is uh, pretty much, I think, the most standard issue Alexis on Fire song you'll ever listen to, and it's a great kind of idea of what you're going to get yourself into. Um, White Devil's fun. You know, most of the album, it's not super long. It's 40 minutes. I'd say give it a shot um, if you're interested in any sort of, like, um, screaming slash sung dynamics. They're actually handled super, super well. And this is pretty fitting because, I mean, with our, our fucking emo brackets, Alex is on fire did uh, win it out for you. So, yeah, I mean, th- this is uh, definitely on point, Brian, as uh, as 2020 is like 2019 was uh, Brian Hasty. He was all in Brian Hasty. <laughs> and true. now. And now 2020 on point, Brian Hasty. This is what we've come to. <laughs> he's questioning like everything uh, having to do with being all in, right? So he's not. He's conservatively all in. He's he's selectively in. He's selectively in. You know, you put your left foot in, you put your left foot out, you do the hokey pokey, and uh, sometimes uh, there's like some fucking thing latched to your leg, and you got to shake it all off. But uh, yeah, that, yeah, that's a fair pick, and and it's a banger of an album. And I feel like they don't get enough credit in the states. No, which I feel like they were largest during the the crisis era. I think they were at their apex of like touring the American Nates of the Warp Tour and sort of like picking up. Um, fancier in there and like I, I honestly sat down and I was trying to think of like what other bands could sort of like fill in there so early-ish Fall Out Boy, Billy Talent um, uh, yeah I'm just trying to think like what else I would listen to at that age that like would work really really well and in terms of like scene bands that I really really enjoyed that like I followed all the way through it was kind of tough and I was trying to figure out like you know like if I I sort of picked one from every decade-ish right so for like when I was you know grade four or five let's say I was listening um, to Clumsy uh, grade five, grade six, and then this is like me at like twenty listening to this. So we're getting the full adolescent into uh, you know, adult Brian. We're we're getting we're kind of getting the life story right now. We're getting yes. the Brian Hasty life story yeah. through music right now, and uh, I'm here for it. I avoided the swoopy haircut, but I definitely owned uh, like two trucker hats. Two, tr- <laughs> yeah, two, two trucker, trucker hats. hats. What did they have on them? One was a smiley face, and the other one was like a fake trucking company, and I just really like the color of it. Okay, so uh, is this uh, hipster Brian? Like, is this is <laughs> no? This, this was we're... this was seen adjacent Brian, I think. Okay, so this is poser Brian. Yeah, I didn't have any tight pants. I didn't wear any makeup. I wasn't, you know, um, like one of those like bands. Like, I'm trying to think of a band that like wore a lot of makeup that had this swoopy swoopy hair, like uh, from First Last, let's say, right? Oh yeah, 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 so much swoopy hair, so much swoopy hair. I feel, I feel like the hairstyle of the two uh, thousands emo boom was largely uh, the greased down version of uh, a flock of seagulls. Yeah, it was definitely like the the gravity sort of like um um uh, corrected version of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like. Uh, there's no way that uh, your hair is uh, not moving. It's it's gotta it's gotta move. You're moving. Your hair's moving. You're losing and... partial mobility in one eye. Like that's definitely yeah. one of the bigger things. I remember I had a friend who who definitely had one of those that like the swoop reached down all the way, kind of like the middle of his cheek, and he was constantly turning his head. And I was like, you're gonna get like whiplash damage one day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's no way around it. Kids, protect your necks. <laughs> Do what you gotta. <laughs> Yeah, that is definitely a good word of advice, uh, especially in 2020. You don't want to end up in the ER. Like, don't. No. No, not in 2020. It's hell in there right yeah. now. All right, Rob, what you got for number two? Uh, number two is kind of, uh, it's an odd choice because it's really not one particular album. It's kind of a collection of uh, uh, soundtracks that would probably together form a whole album that would be long enough. Um, but uh uh, one thing that I find interesting is that when it comes to podcast music is not something that uh, you, you take into consideration or it's kind of this like um, it's a mechanism to drive a story forward and kind of like uh, distract you when the narrative is not great. One such podcast Definitely caught my attention for their music, and I mean, even Pitchfork wrote about it in 2016, but uh, the music from the Adventure Zone is just something that I come back to, uh, and in particular, their uh, balance arc, which is... D&D is, a, is this 
just kind of amazing form of storytelling that's collaborative, but it can be uh, emotional and thrilling and, and stuff like that. And uh, with uh, any kind of like McElroy podcasters, it, it, the humor is like the driving force. But with the Adventure Zone, they kind of, they were able to get a little more emotional and, and hit a lot more emotional cues than they are in, in anything else they do. But um, I think what I find so thrilling about this soundtrack is like, you know, I've, I've listened to these arcs enough to know like where the songs are in each and every one of them. But like, even on their own, given the simplicity that went into making them there, there's still these great emotional short pieces of music. Mm. Uh, and to give you an idea of the, um, tools used to make these fucking soundtracks. So the, they were made by, uh, Griffin McElroy. He made them on a rock band three keyboard with a, um, MIDI converter and uh, garage band that's yeah. all he made it with yeah and which is amazing in and of itself especially like when you see the range of the music that he has in there like uh there are these uh songs that are a little more you know electric sounding and then you go to the next arc and they have more of a like rustic feel to them they have more of an uh, uh and a an outlaw West kind of feel to them, which is, which is great. And like, um, all the way through, there are these like, you know, beats in them that are just like fucking hit that emotional punch. So that's something that I come back to like constantly. And if I'm writing for a podcast or if I'm writing, uh, something out for our other podcast, Brian, the order of podcasters, <laughs> I, I knew the plug was coming. Up. Yeah, it had to be coming. Um, and by the way, folks, if you have not gone and listened to the Order of Podcasters, episode two is out now. It's definitely worth a listen, folks. I mean, listening to uh, Brian, Jen, and I, uh, and and our game master Paul, just playing these characters is like one of the one of the best joys that I have in doing anything right now. So, yeah, it's uh, very pure, you know. It is. It is very pure. It's. Um, the uh, the adventures are great and uh, the interactions are great. It's just it's just so fun. So go check out the Order of Podcasters. Uh, you we are on every podcast app that is out there. You can also check us out on YouTube, uh, the Techno Funk Boys uh, stream channel. So uh, if you want the whole adventure, uh, because you're getting it broken up on the uh, podcast app, you can go over to the YouTube channel and you'll get the entire thing. It's out now. The trade-off, though, is that there are less sound effects and background music because Paul is is a master at editing. So yes. you can watch the whole adventure sort of like in two sections. Um, but in order to listen to it and fully enjoy the the sort of like storytelling experience, you, the weeklies or the bi-weeklies are the way to go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if you want a good example of like all that editing and stuff put into a podcast, there's another podcast that Paul does called Dyson Jury, and it's, uh, it's incredible. It's like... D and D, but like misery porn version, where um, like they're <laughs> no, they're yeah, in a nothing hopeless goes right. Yeah, nothing goes right. It's a hopeless land, and uh, you know the him and his uh, companion are doing their best to make it in that world. But definitely go check out the Order of Podcasters and Dyson Dreary, two amazing podcasts. Yeah, and uh, you had mentioned perhaps uh, uh, a third project that you're working on currently that may have something to do with this realm of podcast, I'd imagine? Yes, yes. Okay. It's in the works right now. We have our first kind of meeting it will have uh it will have happened already by the time you're listening to this but uh, i'm excited for it. it's gonna be it's gonna be fun so what you're saying is like this is the only fact-based podcast you're currently doing yeah i i totally and i mean i use i use facts very nebulously too yeah, absolutely absolutely uh you know we're not at the info wars level but uh we're not that far off do you yeah either. do you want to ins- is that something to aspire to like do we really want to just say like listen like listening to prince will make you drink toilet water or just like something completely crazy. Maybe we need that conspiracies episode, Brian. Uh, we might. To... We might. Also, yeah. uh, Travis Tritt has still not blocked me. I've been tweeting him two or three times. Um, uh, uh, some obscene stuff and there's nothing coming out of this. Yes, folks. Uh, if you listen to our last episode, uh, our latest coded challenge 
is to tweet stuff at Travis Tritt in order to get blocked, and both Brian and I have not been blocked yet. I'm assuming it's just because Travis Tritt doesn't check his Twitter page that often, or he's avoiding the hate that he's getting from people because he's a washed-up country star who plays, like, the... uh, like the festival the, like, yeah, the country, and stuff. The country fair circuit, I'd yeah. say, would be the best yeah, way to describe what he's up to. Yeah, that's, that's what he does now. He's a state you know, fair tra- boy. He's the state fair boy that's, uh, you know, uh, isn't making much, I'm assuming. No. <laughs> no. Uh, you know, with selling tickets for 10 bucks. Whatever, buddy. Whatever. But, uh, you know, if we could both get blocked, uh, we would appreciate it. Just like, can you tweet Travis Tritt? And uh, if you're for... Um, here's what we're, here's what we're going to do. Um, if you're for team Brian, you know, tag Brian, if you're for team Rob, tag me and we'll, we'll see who gets, who, who do you want to see get blocked first? That's what you want to ask yourself. The Coda challenge is now being passed on. I, uh, I look forward to all the tweets that we're going to continue to bombard him with in the, the coming days and weeks because he definitely deserves it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Travis bitch is going down. <laughs> Travis tits is going down. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So, Brian, uh, your third choice here. All right. So, Rob, it was funny that you had mentioned taking um, late night slash early morning walks because um, uh, in my 20s and into my early 30s, I definitely did a lot of that. And I was very obsessed with picking soundtracks that work for that. Um, so, I think it was the first episode where I picked... My album of the week was like um, a trip hop album called Olive's, Olive's Extra Virgin and sort of like things in that vein that are kind of like quiet and enjoyable. Um, there was also the Social Network um, soundtrack that I listened to a lot that when that came out, especially like when I was walking home from like, uh, you know, a gathering or from working super late somewhere. Um, but I kind of landed on an album that I could still sit down and listen to over and over and over and really, really enjoy. And it gives me that like late night alone in the world kind of feel. Even I know that you were talking about like living... Um, in a non-city setting um, um, can be busy, but I feel like after 1 a.m. or like 2 a.m., there's always that stillness there that I I crave and I I still enjoy. And I picked an album that sort of like reflected that walk home. And it's an album by uh, The XX. It's their self-titled album. Um, And I really, really enjoy all the tracks all the way through. It's not super long. It's like 35 minutes, but it still like manages to sort of like um, offer like, you know, uh, calming waves, the way that like um, uh, it's very ethereal, the use of, since and um guitar is very spare like it's a very sparse album right and it's been out for about 10 years now so i mean no it's sorry it's been out for 11 years now um but yeah everything from the intro to vcr to islands to shelter i love shelter there's a them jeans remix that's of that track that's really good all the way till the end stars and um while i enjoy all three of their studio releases that one to me is the one that i keep returning to it just reminds me a lot of like that sort of like stillness that you feel when you're alone in the world yeah, which is an amazing feeling because, like, every time I get up early to go to work and I see a car pass by me, I just get kind of pissed off. Like, <laughs> no, this is my world now, asshole. Get the fuck out of it. But, like, yeah, the um, the the stillness that exists at, like, 3, 4 a.m. is, like, it, it's one of the most serene experiences that you'll ever have. And, yeah, sleep's nice, but... That feeling is also nice, too, and if you have something that can accompany that is always great. Like, uh, even if you're talking about, like, like uh, uh, there are songs that evoke that kind of feeling, like um, uh, Booby Miles from uh, Big Crit. Is just oh, yeah, one that's of those. a great choice. Yeah, that, that song just it hits, like, all the right nighttime grooves. And, like, if you really listen to that song and you pay attention uh, on the um, on the hook, at the back end of the hook, you can hear the slight, like, fucking uh, trumpet sound, mm. which uh, you could... It's almost inaudible when you... If you're not paying attention to it, but it's just one of those kind of uh, amazing tracks to throw on when uh, you're walking around late at night, there's kind of a playlist I have for that and just, like, songs that embody that for yeah. me. But it's, uh, yeah, that's, a, that's definitely a great, great goddamn choice. It's yeah, great I also was, like, super, I was also super obsessed with creating playlists. Less so now because I spend less of my time uh, outside for obvious reasons. But uh, there's definitely, like, a bunch of tracks that, like, do make that, like, late night feel and it's like very enjoyable like um, the uh, instrumental version of Drake's successful for example like mm-hmm. is on there yeah yeah absolutely and another great track embodying 
uh, all that the night has to offer. <laughs> that yeah, that is a great way of putting it. So yeah, my three are like my three sort of like uh, places you can find me. Right, so um, in my bedroom with Clumsy, at a show with Alexis on Fire, or like late at night walking alone to the execs. You have just uh, built a Brian Hasty out of albums. You are the <laughs> you're the iron iron giant made of vinyl and and <laughs> plastic. All right. So my question to you, Rob, is you are coming up on your last album. The first two were very on brand for you in terms of like uh, your dire love of Americana. Does the the third one sort of point to this too? Uh, no, no. This, uh, <laughs> All this right. So we got the curveball. Yeah, we do. We do have the curveball. Uh, for me, on my last album, I definitely went nostalgic, two thousand emo Rob, and um, I went with um, Riot by Paramore. Oh, and, uh, yeah. It's uh, it's one of those nostalgic albums for me in, in many ways because I was in my twenties when that album came out, and in like it definitely sounded like something that brought you back to maybe like high school or something like that but like Paramore brought me back to the high school that I wish like in my head I had gone to that met my high school experience was the worst except for freshman and sophomore year when whatever assholes at play decided to put me in senior gym class I hated it I hated senior gym class as a freshman because all the fucking seniors are about a foot taller than me. Fuck this bullshit. I don't need that. You don't do that to a child and watch him get pegged in the face with a fucking dodgeball. It is not good for them. But I digress. There were certain punk songs and, and stuff that um, friends of mine were into that uh, they would pass on and stuff like that. Like uh, I, I think I talked about... Uh, my father's uh, mixtape skills and the fact that he would yes. call my tape the tapes that he would make with my uh, butt scratch music. Butt scratches volume three and four were created by my friend Eric, and Eric was into like you know every punk ska all that kind of stuff. You know you'd get MXPX, you'd get uh, early No Doubt, just like any kind of like alt alt band you could think of at the time in the mid 2000s was on there uh and like i think that's what i kind of see in riot but also just from the start riot's kind of uh anthemic there's a lot of anthemic bangers on here it opens with one of the best anthemic bangers of of all time just like uh kind of one of those songs uh for a pessimist i'm i'm pretty optimistic it's one of those songs that it's not necessarily a uh, rallying cry but it's kind of like a kick in the chest telling you to get the fuck up off your ass which is <laughs> which is great i love that i love when an album can uh, hit me with the serotonin right up front so um there's no dud on this album like i can't really think of a bad track and like sure there's we are broken which is probably the oddest one but like if you listen to paramore's first album their self-titled album this that's the only song off that i know yeah it's not even the same band it doesn't even sound like the same yeah exactly totally different band like it's totally an emo band that didn't have a lot of direction but Two years later, this this band has gone into the studio with like competent producers and have come out with a with an album that features such fucking great ballads like Hallelujah or you know slick songs like Crush 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 Dude, Crush and, Crush and Crush is so good it's so fucking goddamn good. Um, you could throw this album on and you're you're in for the best like forty minutes of your life for a while it's really that good and if you've like kind of like doubted paramore or you haven't gotten that far back in their discography or you think their newer stuff is better i urge you to go back to riot it is definitely worth your time um even if misery business is problematic which it is which is why they don't perform it live anymore which is it's okay i mean that's fine Let's be honest, the only reason that it's not performed anymore is because of that line, you're the whore and nothing more. That's the only reason. That is the only reason that this song is not played live anymore. So, Rob, here's a question for you, right? So, is it better to not play it or to update the lyrics of the song? I, oh, man. I think an update is is a strong thing. 
I think it's a strong thing, but it's like because you're not updating the whole thing. Yeah. So the I spirit of the fine. song is still there, except yeah. you know, there's that one line that sort of like underlines the whole thing. Taylor Swift kind of did something like this with like love story and shit, you know? So Oh, that's um, true, yeah. So like this idea has been revisited uh, a couple other times, but uh you know, I think an update and it would be fine. I think it would be totally fine. But I guarantee you there would be folks in, in crowds that would still sing that fucking line. Yeah, for sure. It's funny you do bring up uh, Misery Business though because that is like a one of two. So Paramore's this really weird band in a good kind of way where you forget how many of their songs you know until like I did like a deep dive uh, like a year and a half ago so the end of 2018 and I was kind of surprised at even um, how many songs like from Riot onwards I actually knew just by osmosis I guess. Yeah, exactly. Like they're in the public consciousness, yeah. and I mean, even I would say just from like 2011 onwards, is kind of when they uh, they had more, they were more mainstream appealing in a lot of ways, and they've become yeah for sure more mainstream appealing. I remember Ain't It Fun from their mm. self-titled album crossed over into pop radio here in our part of the world. Um, and it's kind of funny that to think about Paramore as a band that you sort of like, uh, um, you know so much about because another band that I feel about this and it's kind of coincidental because I just finished reading the authorized biography of the band Bad Religion, Do What You Want. And, uh, that's another band where I've seen it Warped to Alive, for example, right? And somehow I like know 90% of the songs that they're singing, even though I've never actively bought a Bad Religion album. Yeah. And I've had friends who have been huge fans of Bad Religion, uh, but like, that's the thing is you absorb a lot of your friend's music and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. Tangentially, uh, how many butt scratch uh, mixtapes are there like number wise right now? Seven or eight, somewhere okay. around there. Okay. Yeah. Have you thought about bringing them back? You know, I think about it all the time, but uh, I'd have to put some thought into it uh, in, in terms of what would end up on there. Uh, I don't want to put Oasis on there because Noel Gallagher's being a real like cunt right now. And um, <laughs> but so was he a, st- a staple of the first seven or eight? Oh yeah, he was. They, uh, Oasis was on. I want to say maybe the first two definitely, and probably three and four, just because I was really into what's the story, Morning Glory. At that point in my life, it was one of those pivotal records for me. So could you pivot and then put it like a Liam Gallagher like solo track on there instead? You know I could because like he's he's easier to stomach these days. I was about to say he's the 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 less spicy Gallagher. I think. Uh, right. Though the most problematic Gallagher I think is the one named Gallagher. But we were not going to get into that today. <laughs> which is well, just, which uh, which Gallagher? Gallagher or Gallagher two? Uh, Gallagher, like the original, like okay, super yeah. shitty one. Yeah, absolutely. He was a dickbag. So yeah, it's it's kind of funny to uh, think about uh, ranking my Gallagher's, but he the the. You know, eponymously named one is definitely the first one. The the whole story of Gallagher is just super fucking weird, anyways, right? Like the the idea of like passing it down. Why, why? What what do you what are you the Dread Pirate Roberts here? What the <laughs> fuck is this shit? I would love to meet someone who's like a staunch Gallagher and Gallagher Junior defender. Someone from the Ozarks, I'd feel like is like uh you know because I feel like Gallagher's brand of humor works really well in that region. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and they were probably the kind of people that didn't want to put the plastic up they were fine <laughs> in the splash zone have you ever been sprayed at a concert before no okay no thank god i can't even remember being cl- that close in a concert in a concert where that could happen i once 2005 sounds on the ground i saw gore Mm, yeah, and uh, we decided to get close enough because, like, hey, we're probably never gonna actively pay tickets just to see Gore, but since this was part of a festival, we're like, screw it. And uh, we got close enough, and I got hit with like this water with like some kind of dine. And I remember going to bed, and I just it was the middle of July, and I sweated all out, and like at my pillow looked like I had been stabbed, and it was just like this awful smelly feeling in the morning. So what you're saying is you would not want to recreate the Beavis and Butthead video game. <laughs> no, and also like I hadn't been like dead and then reborn through the the glory and the power of of Gore, who are surprisingly adept musicians. I realized during their set, like they actually write really good thrash metal songs. I was super surprised to feel that way. And then years later, a friend of mine had one of their um, like they shot a bunch of movie DVDs that had like music videos, but also like uh, storylines in them. And it was just it was like, this weird kind of like universe to live in. 
This is intriguing to me, Brian. This I, is uh, interesting. I'll have to find a link to one of them. I mean, they're probably on YouTube right now, but I'll have to find a link to sort of like share that with you because I wish I could watch them again. You, you should. Um, likewise, the one piece of uh, media that I wish I could consume again, despite the fact that you really can't find it anymore on the internet, is uh, Five Questions with the Champ, just watching John Cena. Uh, just, like, be funny. It was, it was so yeah. great. It was such a great time. And, like, the only way you can get it is if you buy the DVD. And I, I don't really feel like buying a DVD, you know. I'm not the... Um, physical collector that i once was uh but i think if nostalgia wins out i will eventually buckle one day and head to ebay to get the cheapest copy i, I was can. about to say like it's out of print right imagine right so you know trying to secure a copy may not be cheap yeah that's true uh it all depends i mean it's john cena his merchandise is flooded on that's the internet th- yeah so. that's very true too but i feel like dvds of like bygone era cena are like uh you know like has there been a vinyl release of his his record no i don't think so that would be i mean i i haven't put the research in but i'm gonna say hold on i'm gonna hit up discogs right now okay hit up hit up you gotta hit up discogs oh Uh, nice okay so uh uh, columbia no 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 it doesn't like i do i know the cd exists yeah no i know the cd exists but I'm, i'm just curious like how CD, CD, CD. No, unfortunately not. There's no, there's no vinyl releases for uh, John Cena's You Can't See Me. No DJs want to remix anything no. from that album. Nothing. Uh, nothing. I forgot some of these uh, track names, though, like uh, Summer Flings, <laughs> Bad Bad Man, Bean Town. I wonder what that's yep. about. Uh, know the Rep. Uh, yep. Chain Gang is the click. Well, okay, that's fine. And uh, Don't Fuck With Us. Yeah, that's, uh, that's fucked. That is. Uh... <laughs> if you scroll under recommendations based on this, you get Dr. Dre's 2001, Linkin Park's Hybrid Theory, uh, Corn's Fall Leader, and uh, System of Down's Toxicity. I feel like that alone devalues every single one of those albums you mentioned. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so if anyone out there has any like, leads for a cheap uh, John Cena 5 questions with the Champ DVD, let Rob know. Yes, please, please let us know. And, and likewise, uh, you know, given our new issue of the Coda Challenge, who do you want to see get blocked first? Yeah. Are you Team Brian or are you Team Rob? But um, uh, in the meantime, Brian, where can they find us on the internet? So they can find us over, uh, I guess Twitter's our like, most active uh, social channel, right? That and Instagram? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's absolutely correct. We are most active on those platforms. Please drop us a line. Yeah. So you can find us at uh, Twitter at uh, the Coda Podcast, all one word. Please don't put spaces or you know um, underscores or anything like that because that won't work. Over on Instagram, you can also find us at Coda Podcast. No the in there, so Coda underscore Podcast because the Coda Podcast was taken, unfortunately, uh, because the internet sucks. And then also you can also email us at uh, thecodacast at gmail.com. Yes, yes, you can, and that's going to do it for episode sixteen of the Coda Podcast. Don't forget to keep those cans on.